Hello, you are listening to the Accidental Muralist podcast. I am your host, Pam Concier. I'm the founder of All Hands Art. That's at allhandsart.com, where you can find this podcast and a lot more. This is episode 18, which you can also think of as season two, episode four. And that is because I'm in the fourth, it's the beginning of the fourth module of Heart School, something I'm calling Heart School. I spell it with a small H-E to begin the word heart. And then in capital letters, the words art and then school. I put a little heart in the middle of those two words just to bring it home. Um, And Heart School is kind of an experimental, somewhat spontaneous uh, container I've created to explore big ideas and things that fascinate me and that I'm curious about. We started in late August. I would say it's a monthly, it is a monthly, like a set of monthly modules, but because I start each one on the 23rd with a podcast, they don't really line up perfectly with months, but um, we started in August with the word agency because each for each module I'm choosing one word to dive into agency as in you have the power to make decisions about your life you're the boss of it then in September we started a module on rituals letter R because all of each month each module is going to spell out an acronym by the time we get to the end of the of the school year quote unquote school year um, and that just gives me a loose container in which to uh, think about what I want to present in October we started a module on transitions so that was the letter T it's November and our letter is S and I struggled because I really wanted, I was planning to talk about soul and spirit. Those are some words that I'm fascinated with, especially the soul part. Um, And so, but then another word came to mind that I thought could encapsulate a lot of other things that are important and it felt a little bit, um, a little juicier, I guess. So, Without further ado, our word this, this module, this month or this time around is spaciousness. Spaciousness. And what I like about spaciousness is it, it sort of combines or encompasses a lot of other S words besides even soul and spirit. Um, silence, solitude, sacredness. These are some other S words that really appeal to me, um, as well as practices that appeal to me. So spaciousness. And I'm going to, I have so many thoughts. In fact, this is round two of recording this because um, I won't go into the reasons why. Sometimes that happens where I need to redo it. and I'm, I have so many ideas around this concept of spaciousness. And so my challenge for myself is to 
keep this podcast episode a bit spacious, not try to cram in too much and not feel pressured to say every single thing that I've ever thought about the word spaciousness. And I'm also going to challenge myself and you as the listener to manage some moments where there might just be quiet. Like that. And just see if we can handle some pauses in our life. Um, A little time to reflect a little time to process or to settle. So actually, now let's, let's just take a moment at the beginning. Settling is another good S word. And here towards the beginning, let's just take a moment to pause and think about this word spaciousness and see what comes up for you. Is this something that you feel that you have a lot of in your life or something that you might want to make a little more room for. So let's just spend like 30 seconds, maybe even 20 seconds thinking about spaciousness. To admit that was a little challenging for me to uh, just watch the the seconds tick by because I do have this sense when I'm recording these podcasts of like I need to make it really worth people's time and you know pack in a lot of value and so as I'm saying those things out loud um, I'm realizing that's not a very spacious attitude Um, So I'm going to try to go with a less is more approach and we'll explore some places in our lives, both our interior mental space, um, our physical space, our calendars, our homes, our relationships, our social and political spheres and see if we can invite in a little bit more spaciousness into those spaces. Obviously the word spaciousness is all about space. And to me what I like about it is more than just it it feels very it feels multidimensional to me. It feels in the word spaciousness I hear time like open time for processing or for just sort of being. I, I feel kind of a multiplicity of ideas or space allowance, invitation to, to welcome in a variety of ideas and concepts. Um, it feels kind of relaxing just the word itself kind of helps me settle and take a breath and kind of drop my shoulders and um, yeah spaciousness I think it might 
help to un I know that you know what spaciousness is, but it might help sort of drive the point home by thinking about its opposite, which I would say is kind of American culture. Um, we live, those of us in the United States and other Western countries, and actually the whole globe these days to some extent because Western values have been exported and forced on most of the whole world. And that culture has to do with productivity. We are bodies to have labor extracted from, our earth is there to be extracted from, and the bodies are there to extract things from the earth and to, to have things extracted from our minds. And productivity means, in that sense, means like the most work per minute and for the highest value and value I guess is you know whatever the price you can sell it for in the marketplace and all of you know I feel like I'm my head is starting to constrict as I'm describing it but um, multitasking I would say is is the opposite of spaciousness in many ways um, yeah we could just even land on those two or was that three? Productivity and multitasking and extraction, this extraction kind of mentality. So there's a lot of different directions I could go in, in my doodles and notes. Um, I've touched on a lot of different ways to approach this, but I think let's talk about Let's start with our schedules, because I think that's, I'm guessing that for a lot of people, especially if you have a full-time job and you might have some kids or family members that you live with, um, your schedule probably doesn't feel very spacious. And uh, that could be a place to, to start inviting something in and when I think about spaciousness I the first record I'll just say why I had to do a take two on this podcast because in the first one which I ended feeling like hey I think I could just publish that no editing I felt pretty good about it and then when I listened to it I, I had spent like 15 minutes talking describing my morning rituals which I already did in the podcast about rituals um, so I decided that didn't make any sense to do a big, huge repeat. But the point was that that morning routine that I have described, where I get up early, I spend some time reading or writing things of my choice, not work, re not work related, just whatever I'm in the mood for. I spend some time doing yoga and movement and stretching and whatever my body feels like it needs. That feels very spacious. I spend some time in meditation. That feels very spacious, just kind of seeing what's there, inviting in ancestors. That's a whole realm that has opened up this space that I guess didn't feel available to me until recently. So that's, that's an area of spaciousness for me. And I step into nature 
several times and in several ways in that morning ritual. So that's a way um, for me to kind of enjoy the spaciousness of nature, whether it's watching the sky or just pausing to watch the birds at the bird feeder like I am doing right this second as I'm talking or to go put my hands on the ground and touch the Douglas fir trees um, and just spend a moment kind of feeling enveloped by the comfort and spaciousness of, of the earth. So for me, the, that time has shifted kind of my whole day because I'm starting my day cultivating a sense of spaciousness in in different modalities um, and that's not how my relationship with mornings used to be for the first 55 years of my life so that that's been kind of a new and very very juicy alive time for me um, but it doesn't have to be a whole big morning routine it could be maybe a meal time where instead of eating while watching TV while listening to the news or you know ha checking having one hand checking your phone or texting someone um, where you sit outside I love sitting outside eating and again watching the birds it's been raining almost every day lately so now I've found a little perch inside the sliding glass doors where I can you know still sit and face outside and and that's where I've been eating my meals and just kind of I I do get sucked into multitasking and sometimes I do eat while you know reading something that's in front of me I'm not saying I'm great at it you could even call watching the birds multitasking I went to a Zen retreat once many many years ago and there were silent meals and um, the, the idea was to just focus on actually tasting your food and appreciating the food, which I still feel like I could practice doing. One, one tiny way I'm trying to build in spaciousness is, and I don't know if this is a thing for you, but is chewing that last bite of like, instead of putting the last bite in my mouth and then popping up from the table, instead chewing that last bite until I'm done chewing that last bite and pausing and then popping up from the table. And that makes me think of a very spacious meal that I shared recently. We were visiting my, my, my sister and brother-in-law in Portland and Mark and I were visiting my other sister and brother-in-law in Victoria, BC, and they took us out to this French restaurant where the pacing was such an important part of the meal. The waiter, who I'm pretty sure was the owner, and I think his wife was the chef, um, started us off with a greeting, told us, you know, don't rush, I'll be back in a little while to help you choose some wine, but you know, we're not gonna, we're gonna take our time. He, he basically wouldn't let us even think about what we were gonna order until we had settled in and we had had a little bit of wine and we had had a chance to talk with each other and and so the whole meal kind of went on like that where where he was 
you know, I think he's, he was very savvy about what North Americans are like, and he was infusing it with the Frenchness of slowing down. And it made the whole experience so memorable and just lovely. And we were there for, I think, three and a half hours eating that meal, and it was fantastic and, and, and made so much better by the pacing of it. So as we're entering the holiday season, maybe that's a could be a a holiday challenge if you're having a gathering to you know f- intentionally and it took a lot of intention like it this this was very um premeditated on his part it wasn't just it wasn't because he was too busy to give us attention it was he was giving us attention and kept reminding us how how we were going to slow it down. So um, that was a good reminder and an example of how, a, you know, and not every meal can last three and a half hours, but every once in a while it's a really nice experience. <clears throat> so that meal made a big impression on all of us. We still keep thinking about it and talking about it. Um, You know I'm a fan of doodling. So doodling, journal writing, doodle journaling. um, The doodling, doodling to me is like journaling plus spaciousness because it's inviting, it's inviting in more than just your thoughts, your like mental intentional active thoughts to the page it's sort of um, inviting in like shapes and maybe colors and lines and it's it's an opening to take things in different directions and so maybe if your schedule feels very tight and anti-spacious um, or if your mind is feeling kind of tight and anti-spacious, doodling might be a way of sort of loosening things up a little bit, jiggling a few things free. And, and by the way, I have a doodle book for sale on my website because I spent most of last year writing and, and doodling, like I doodled the entire book by hand a book about doodling and the importance of it for me, which is that I didn't, I don't think I used the word spaciousness in the book, but now, um, but I did write about the inviting both sides of your brain and um, kind of spending that time on the page with yourself, with your, whatever's going on with you, engaging your inner critic, which, that let's see does that relate to spaciousness i think our inner critics are probably our biggest obstacle to spaciousness i haven't thought this out it just entered my brain right now as i'm talking about my doodle book but what my inner critic says in actually any time when i am creating spaciousness although because i've practiced it a lot in the past year my inner critic is quieter or it it leaves me alone more during these times of spaciousness that I was describing like in my morning routine the critic is not really there 
much with me, I'm happy to report. But there might be times during the day where I am inviting spaciousness or sitting staring off into space or, you know, whatever, like not doing something that looks like work. And that critic might show up saying, what are you doing just sitting around? You're supposed to be working. You know, what What can you do? You could do this. You could do, you know, and it, it's, I wonder for you if it, if your inner voice is, um, it's probably kind of anti-spaciousness because probably it's trained in fear and underneath that, f the, the fear probably has to do with not being good enough and not, not being productive enough and not uh, working hard enough and not, you know, just not doing and being enough. So that's kind of an interest. I'll have to, I'll have to spend some time doodling about that spaciousness versus the inner critic. I feel I'm not a cartoon. I don't, cartoons aren't really my way of expressing creativity, but I could see a cartoon developing of like the inner critic versus uh, the super spaciousness superpower. Um, so what else? I'm just going to pause a little bit and look at my notes and let you digest. Bring in a little more spaciousness to this space. Another form of spaciousness that you are probably familiar with, and this might be one that is somewhere in your week, is Shavasana. At the end of yoga class, everyone's favorite part, usually, because in Shavasana, you are invited to lay down on your back in corpse pose, simulate death, be still, be quiet, do nothing, and just feel the support of the earth. And I think that invitation to do nothing, and when there, especially when there's a teacher, a yoga instructor, they're telling you to lay down, be still, and do nothing. <laughs> I think that's why people love it so much. Like it's probably the only time in your day or your week or your life where where that happens if you're a grown-up like when you're a kid your parents did that at night anyway probably um, when you're going to bed or needed to take a nap but you know as grown-ups that is a pretty rare and special thing so I I take shavasanas during the day at random times like sometimes when I'm reading something and it just hits me as so profound or beautiful. It makes me want to just step away and take a break and absorb it into my body. And in those situations, it feels like a disservice to the art that I have just ingested or, or con consumed sounds so capitalist, but you know, that, that I've just received, that's a better word, it seems like an injustice to the art that I've just received if I were to just like turn the page and keep reading. Um, because savoring, there's a good, another good S word, savoring, and savoring and spaciousness have a lot in common. 
And in this case, I'm talking about savoring reading or savoring a poem, savoring a, a turn of phrase or a piece of art. Um, that's another really great way to invite spaciousness in. Savoring. I'm someone who, when I listen to podcasts, I will often pause, go get a scrap of paper and a pen, rewind, write, and then, you know, write down the thing that somebody said in the podcast, and I might need to, you know, stop it, start it, stop it, start it four or five times, but I, I like capturing those things, and sometimes it does just just make me stop for a while and I want to I might not go right back to listening to the rest I might want to just spend a little bit of time with that thought that just resonated with me um, I have a friend this is just another another suggestion for little ways that you might create spaciousness in your schedule or your calendar I have a close friend whose father died years ago, and um, for various reasons and related to conversations we'd had recently, I an idea, a suggestion popped into my head that I shared with her, and I said, "What what would it feel like if you just spent five minutes each morning lighting a candle and spending time with your dad?" someone she was very close to. And that would be a way to invite spaciousness in that relationship. Like you, I now, different than if I had, you know, I wouldn't have talked about this five years ago because I wouldn't have had anything to say even two years ago. But I think that relationships can continue to evolve or even can begin once people have died. I've been, I've been uh, developing isn't the word I want. I've been sort of building relationships with some relatives that I did not know in life. Um, some because they had already passed away before I was born, but some because they were kept away from me in childhood. Um, and then they died, and I missed my chance to know them in life. And so I've been uh, spending some time in meditation, sort of what, with what feels like the presence of those ancestors. And that has created a different kind of relationship that feels very spacious because that's, you know, like it is kind of ethereal. There's, there's, I have some photos that are concrete, but I don't have um, concrete memories. If memories can be concrete, I guess they can. So it's, it, is, it begins as a spacious kind of thing because I am literally just pausing and kind of inviting them to enter this space in meditation. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, that might be a meaningful way or a yeah a motivating way for some people to create spaciousness to connect with loved ones 
um, through some kind of meditation or just just thinking of memories together lighting a candle just devoting a little bit of time to that taking walks I find to be a spacious activity mark and I often go for a walk right after lunch and even though we are usually we're just walking around our neighborhood which we have done I don't know several hundred times um, it always feels like there's a chance to notice something new in fact a, a lot of times our neighborhood is a grid like it's just very you know streets going this way and streets going that way and there's some alleys that are kind of fun to walk through and but there are a lot of times where we'll be walking down a block that's within 10 blocks of our house in one direction or another and we'll be like have we ever been on this block before how come none of these houses look familiar and it's amazing to think that we couldn't have been on that block so i think it might be just you know fresh eyes or noticing something that we didn't notice before and kind of opening up opening up our mind or attention to the to the surroundings actually attention i hadn't thought about spaciousness in it attention but that's that's kind of a that's what the walks feel like to me just kind of spaciousness for attention and sometimes we're having a conversation and when i'm when i'm deep in conversation and walking i'm usually just looking at the ground in front of me so i have to remind myself to look up and <laughs> take in the trees and the plants and houses and squirrels um, but yeah spaciousness is all around in your neighborhood if you need a refresher about inviting spaciousness on a walk because maybe you're like a fast exercise walker or you might be a put your headphones on and listen to a podcast walker and those are fine I'm not gonna criticize any kind of of getting outside and breathing the air and moving your body um, but you could think also if you want to mix it up a little bit think about what it's like to go for a walk with a toddler and what kind of if you if you can handle it <laughs> grown-ups aren't always in the mood for that um, and I say that with honesty as a as a mother of two people who used to be toddlers um, you know sometimes you kind of want to get on with it or get back home or whatever and they're still looking at the puddle and you know the snail and um, but or a dog we used to take our friends dog angel for walks when when I lived in Oakland and sometimes Jeannie and Jim were going out of town and we would we would take care of their dog for a couple days while they were gone and angel was such a beautiful loving old dog and she I called her sniffy when we walked because she would be crisscrossing the sidewalk and she's smelling over here and then she has to smell the thing over there and then she's smelling the thing over there and it was impossible she was not a dog that you would want to go for a run with um, and if you were a fast walker in you know needing to get somewhere she wasn't the best partner but she was fun 
to walk with just to observe how fascinated she was with every single smell on every square foot of the path or the sidewalk. So uh, if you need refreshers about how to create spaciousness in your walks, you could find a, an old dog or a puppy would work too, I think, um, or a young child, and they'll show you how to do it. Can invite in a little more spaciousness right now. Yesterday morning, I was in a session, kind of a meeting slash workshop that was about grief. And it's, I want to say it's opposite, but I'll say it's complement or it's um, the other end of the spectrum, which is gratitude. They're not really opposites, I guess, but this was the first time that I had thought about grief and gratitude together and how they, how they, um, again, it's not like they're opposites, but they're sort of complementary. And, and the presenter was reading from a book. Um, I don't remember, I wrote down the name of the book, but I can't remember it right now. That was talking about grief and gratitude and how both of them are necessary for sort of a balanced, uh, healthy life. I don't know that that's what the author is saying, but that's what I'm interpreting. You, if you stay the whole time in gratitude, it can be kind of saccharine, too artificially sweet, um, a little too airy. And if you spend too much time in grief, it can be too heavy and murky and um, low and so moving movement between grief and gratitude was an important um, part of this thing and we did some activities to sort of physically emotionally psychologically move between gratitude and grief and in there in that movement came resilience and it was a really I, it made me want to read that book and I, I'll put a link to what it was and it's a book that I haven't read. I've just heard little snippets from, but um, I think I bright I bring that up because creating here's another way that space that I've had experiences of creating space in my life, spaciousness. Without the intention of creating spaciousness, it's just something that I my body my mind knew that I needed and so it happened. One of them was when I was going through a lot of transitions. So I'll, I'm tying back into last month's um, topic of transitions. And in between 2006 and 2008, a lot of things happened in my life. I got a divorce after 16 years of marriage. The next year, I had some melanomas, some cancerous moles on my skin, the kind that you don't want because they can metastasize. Mine didn't, fortunately. They, they were carved out of my body in time. And then I changed careers. I left my 
teaching career that I'd been doing for almost 20 years, and I, I started a small business. I became an entrepreneur. All of that happened actually within 18 months. So it was a time of great transition. <laughs> everything, everything in my life was changing, except for my kids. I still had the same kids, although their schedule changed because I only had them half of the time. And, um, and, but you know, I changed my name back to my maiden name. I changed my address, my phone number, my email address. You know, everything about me, every document I had, every account I owned, everything changed. My my schedule changed once I stopped teaching. My everything changed. Um, and so when I was, and I when I left teaching, I didn't exactly. I didn't have a business plan. I didn't really know exactly what I was going to do. I just knew what I needed to leave. I knew that I could not keep teaching because it was physically, like it was starting to make me ill. Like it was causing some disease and um, as were other stresses, but I, I just couldn't, like my body wouldn't let me do that work anymore. It was making it super clear. And so in those first months when I was at home, I, was, I would spend a lot of the morning doing every puzzle on the puzzle page of the Oakland Tribune, when, back when we got the print edition. And they had a great puzzle page. There was a Sudoku. I think I usually started with that one. And there was a, a jumble, and there was a word search, and there was a, you know, what, and I would read the horoscopes, and I would read the comics, and then there were a couple more puzzles. I forgot what they were. And then I would read every article about the Oakland A's, and, and that was all. I didn't really care that much about the rest of the paper at that time. But I, it was like a daily ritual. I think I was also doing other puzzles. Like I think I had a book of Sudoku puzzles, and I, I needed to sort of work, work it out, work something out. I needed to process something through my body, through my hand, through my brain, um, and puzzles. <laughs> Puzzles kind of helped me, and I can't explain why or why that or, you know, what exactly was going on. But I have noticed in other times of my life, too, when I'm maybe about to birth something new in my work, like some new project or something, I will, I will sometimes maniacally do uh, Sudoku puzzles. I might do like eight of them in a row three times in the day or something. I just, for for two weeks. And then I kind of am over it. And, and then I'll, you know, do the next thing. And it's not super clear. Like it's not, I don't, it's not like I feel it coming on and then I know I have to do it for two weeks and then this great idea emerges. It's not that clear cut, but I do feel at times very drawn to like, oh, I just need to like, do number puzzles um, and then I'm and then I don't anymore and so I think what's happening on some level is there's some kind of processing going on somewhere I'm working something out I'm working something through I don't know why um, but that's something I do so that that helped me a lot there were other things I was doing during that time of transition too it wasn't 
only the magic of the Oakland Tribune puzzle page, but the the reason that I want to bring that up is that when I was doing that, I was pretty embarrassed about it. Like I, it was not something I was telling all my friends. And even when they asked me, how are you doing? Or what are you doing? I probably would not tell them that part because it's, you know, I was kind of ashamed of it. Here I am a grown woman. I think I was 40 ish. Um, sitting in my pajamas doing puzzles while all my friends, you know, had already been at work for two hours. So it wasn't something I was proud of. And so I'm saying that because if that's something that you can relate to, or you have a version of that that you do when you're processing things, uh, I think it's okay. I think we can, we can be okay with that. And now I look back on it and it makes more sense in the context of that time of my life, I see how there was so much turbulence in my world that I guess I found some stability or some grounding in it, even, you know, as silly as it sounds or looked. Um, and so I think I just want to invite us to be okay with things like that. And maybe for me, that was the spaciousness or the rest that my psyche needed. Or, you know, if I could just like get my left brain focusing on numbers so that my right brain could help process some emotions, maybe that's what was going on. Um, but these are things that you probably, you know, I don't hear people talking about it very much because it's kind of embarrassing. It's not socially acceptable to you know, when you're 40 and divorced to be sitting in your pajamas at 11 a.m. doing the puzzle page of the newspaper. So I'm coming clean with it. And um, if you have equivalents or something similar, you are okay. You're still a, a valid grown-up. 14 or however old you are. Because um, we don't really, we don't allow time for processing in our life and there is one other kind of processing I want to remember to add in here but first I want to just step back about that time to process and how how absent it is in our culture which is like 10 times faster paced and you know 10,000 times more input that we're you know, feeling like we have to ingest every day. And we're, the, the tricky thing, the catch is that we're using what used to be downtime to ingest more, more information and more input. You know, it used to be when people stood in line at the post office or, you know, whatever, you would just stand and stand and, <laughs> and either be silent or maybe strike up a little conversation with the person next to you. And now when we're standing in line at the post office, most people will whip out their phone, they're checking email, you know, they're filling every minute with something new or some kind of stimulation or information or some kind of activity. And 
all the spaces in our day that our ancestors used to either fill with silence, possibly with music or knitting or, you know, something that was sort of creative or re, uh, restorative. We're using those rest times, those downtimes, to fit in more uptime, like more on time, more productivity or more input or more news or more Instagram feed. And it's really not a mystery to me why there's such an, you know, a epidemic of anxiety and depression and all kinds of dis dis-ease um, in our society because we have literally replaced downtime that we need more of with so much more input and we're left with zero time to process any of it. So the grief, going back to the grief and gratitude, uh, which is a really beautiful use, I guess, to sound utilitarian, for spaciousness, for creating spaciousness. One other thing, one other time that I created a giant container of spacious, for spaciousness in my life is when we moved to Portland four years ago, or moved back. I had grown up here and lived in the Bay Area for 35 years, I think, 34 years and then moved back in 2017 to Portland with Mark. He was working at the time and I had some savings from having just sold my house in a expensive market, buying to, moving to a somewhat less expensive market. That's a whole other conversation we could have about privilege and real estate craziness and capitalism and whiteness and all that and I am aware of that but I'm gonna stick with the topic of spaciousness for today um, so what I did because I had that savings I was just referring to I allowed myself one year after moving here to just transition to not feel like I needed to jump into finding clients because I had built up a mural a community mural facilitator business as crazy as that sounds in Oakland and and I was teaching art and in the yeah in my studio anyway I had this creative business that had that I had finally developed and had gotten off the ground and that was starting to gain traction right as I moved so I basically was starting over from scratch but I I decided to give myself a year to just process. And what was I processing? Um, that that 16 year marriage that I mentioned, that at the time it ended, I was able to process the paperwork to make the divorce happen. But I was also teaching full time. I had two kids at home. Um, I, you know, I like the rest of my life was just going on I could I didn't have time to to stop and think about what it meant and should I have seen this coming and what you know could I have done something different and what were all the lessons that I can take from it there was no time for any of that 
at the time it happened. So 10 years late, was it 10 years? Yeah, it was 11 years later when I moved to Portland. That was when I gave myself time to process that, to process um, my teaching career and the all the lessons I learned from that about children and families and my own nervous system and what I loved about it and what didn't work for me and how could I take what I had learned into the next phase of whatever my work was going to be and and about my business that I had started and what did I want to keep and what did I want to shed um, about parenting. I was newly an empty nester and there was a lot just to process and to to rest from after 20, uh, oh, I'm not doing the math very well, about 20 years of parenting because my two kids are about five years apart. And it, it there was just a lot, you know, and it, my life is not that unusual. The cancer thing and needed to process that. There's there's nothing, I mean, yes, we are all unique, but everybody has their things they need to process. I'm not saying that my life was so filled with things that needed processing. Every life is filled with things that need processing, and the problem is that we don't allow time for it, and we're actively told by our society that there is no time for it, and that's not a priority anyway, so why would you want to do that? And I actually understand why people might avoid it intentionally because here's what I did during that time. Mark was getting up and going to work and I would I would get up and you know eat and whatever and then I would spend most of the day reading, crying, not every day but probably 60 or 70 percent of the days I would I would be crying, I would read old journals, I read a lot of books um, and I wrote, I was writing a lot, but just for myself, just, I would sometimes journal. So I got into like writing essays where I would pick a topic, just whatever was on my mind. And then I would kind of flesh out an essay around it that was trying that, you know, my goal was to have some kind of point and some structure to it and then some conclusion, which was a super interesting, I was thinking, wow, my high school teachers would be amazed that I'm doing this for fun <laughs> um, but it you know writing like that takes you to places where suddenly I'm like what how did I get talking about the 72 Olympics and Olga Corbett you know who knew that was coming um, so I just I just created spaciousness that's not how I was thinking about it at the time but it but I knew that I I felt that I needed a break and I wanted to gift myself that break that time and that space and it was really I wish it for everybody and I think that sometimes people do avoid creating spaciousness not only because our inner critic says that means you're lazy and you're not a real adult and you're not a productive member of our capitalist society and we have so much to extract from you you can't stop that's part of it but I think um, there could be a little avoidance, a little active avoidance, because as I just described, 
what happens sometimes when you create space and you slow down oh slowing down was going to be another one of my s words i thought about doing a whole thing about slowing down but spaciousness encapsulates that for me what happens when you slow down and create time and space to just let in whatever needs to be let in sometimes what comes in is is difficult it it might it's probably there's going to be some grieving to do there's going to be some unpleasant feelings that come up there's unfinished business that's going to kind of bubble to the surface and and so i understand why a lot of people avoid it because it feels safer or it feels um, easier but i'm here to tell you as someone who i see the, i see the cancer that was growing on my skin as accumulation of toxins of things that i was not dealing with and that's how it showed up for me for you it might show up as headaches migraines it might show up as lower back pain it might show up as um, knee pain or some you know it like the things that we aren't dealing with they don't vanish by us avoiding them they just get stored someplace in the body and so what I wish for all of us and I think I'll I think I'll go ahead and bring this to a close is to find moments of spaciousness in your day preferably every day preferably multiple times in a day in the day but also you could bring spaciousness into not just your schedule but your relationships maybe with a little more listening and a little less talking or allowing pauses and not having to fill all of the silence. That would be a way to invite spaciousness. That doesn't take really extra time in your day. It just is a different way, kind of a different mentality. Or that spaciousness of attention that, that I talked about earlier, like on a walk, just sort of opening yourself up to notice things. Um, because I think, I think we can cr bring our society and the earth back to health a little bit more, and our bodies, especially our bodies, by inviting in an open spaciousness and giving ourselves that gift. I feel like I could talk about this for three more hours, but I'm going to stop there. And um, thank you for listening to the Accidental Mirrorless podcast. If you are not on my email list, you can sign up at allhandsart.com. And when you do, you will get these podcasts emailed to you, as well as the uh, written blog post on the third of each month, some pictures that kind of summarize our, our module on the 13th of each month and every once in a while I send something out like I'll probably send something out about holiday stuff sometime soon or once in a while there's an extra one but usually it's those three per month 
and um, I would love to have you join me in Heart School. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next time.